0: Good morning and welcome to our third annual Growth, Renewal and Outreach Weekend, or as we say, Grow 2022. Um, we welcome you here. Um, and if you were here yesterday and also uh, online last night, welcome back. Uh, today, after David's lesson at 1130 to one o'clock, we will have lunch here in the building. So please stay around for that. And after that, we will have our third lesson from David at one o'clock. So please be here for that as well, in person or online. Um, um, we are going to dismiss the children now to their classes. But before you guys do, please listen to some instructions. So there's two groups of children or two, two groups of childcare services today. Uh, children ages one and two are asked to be escorted by a, a, a parent or a guardian upstairs to the big uh, classroom, and please stay there until a teacher volunteer is present to take over. And after David's lesson, please come back and retrieve your children upstairs. And those two children who are ages three to twelve, please uh, escort them to the foyer just outside, and they will be divided to their appropriate classes at that time. So... Kids, please go to your classes at this time. And before we ask David to come up, it's my pleasure to introduce him to everybody. And uh, just uh, a background, um, just so everybody's aware that Grow 2022 is really all about the Great Commission. It's about evangelism and disciple making. And our guest speaker uh, this weekend, David Shannon, is well-equipped to talk to us about these two things. David is uh, from Centerville, Tennessee, originally. He's in Henderson now. And uh, he is very committed to growing the the kingdom of God, the church of our Lord. And uh, he has been preaching since the age of 14. So he's been preaching for decades now. And God has given him some tremendous gifts, his uh, leadership skills, spiritual leadership skills, his communication skills, interpersonal skills, and many other skills that he has, all can, all have contributed and have used by God to grow Mount Juliet Church of Christ, the congregation where he was a full-time minister previously, uh, uh, from a congregation of 500 to about, to over a thousand during his time there. So it is for these, uh, reasons and for these skills that, uh, the board of directors from Fried Hardman University have approached him. See, remember, he, he did not ask for this. He was approached to become uh, their um, 16th president. And just so you guys, we all understand, David does not have an accredited master's degree, let alone a PhD or a doctor's degree. And he is helming one of the biggest Churches of Christ universities, in the States, uh, who grants master's degrees and PhDs. And he's doing a fantastic job so far. He's been doing it now for five years. And on a more personal note, one of my, the reason why we know of David is because of one of my mentors in ministry, David Higginbotham. He told me about David and uh, I asked him, he's not able to be here tonight because uh, he's dealing with some health issues, but um, I'm just going to read what he wrote about David. And it speaks to uh, his character and to what he's going to talk to us about tonight. Uh this is from David Higginbotham. What I would say about David is that preachers need preachers too. So in effect he's saying that David is the preacher's preacher. I think it is dangerous for a preacher not to take the time to listen to other preachers. Our souls need to be fed too. David Shannon is one of the men that I frequently listen to because of his content as well as his ability to communicate. If you don't know that to be true about David, you're about to find out. With that, uh, please uh, welcome our guest speaker, David Shannon.
1: Good morning. It is great to be back together this morning. hope you had a good evening. It's a sure tremendous blessing for me to be with you. Uh, first time to be in... This part of the world and I'm thankful to be here and uh, I'm really really thankful to be able uh, to be discussing and studying and and just uh, working together as a group uh, through a weekend of thinking about souls and thinking about evangelism um, like many of you here I have spent decades with groups studying through this going out and trying to live it getting back together and planning again and I want to take some time this morning to uh, to kind of give you a, a little bit of thought of a model that, you know, there's not a cookie cutter way to do evangelism. And if somebody thought that there was, that would be a pretty bad mistake. Uh, but yet there are principles that are true, whether we're thinking about individuals or we're thinking about a church, a congregation working through this. And so I'd kind of like to blend this a little bit uh In this session of thinking about disciples, making disciples, but also what a congregation can do to make disciples. And let's let's blend this a little bit uh, over the next few minutes. If we took the time to go around the room and say, tell us how you came to know the Lord. Every story would be different. Now, what we would also come to realize is that no one person was brought to the Lord by one person there's always an influence of many, many people. And that's why it's so important for us to think about any time the Lord is using us. He's just using us in that moment. And he's already been preparing that person most likely beforehand. And there will be others after us, and then even others along beside us that will be engaged and involved in this. As we get into this, of thinking about the many, many facets of Caring for souls and reaching out to souls. I think about Peter, Andrew, James and John when they were fishermen. And remember, Jesus called them and, and he urged them to, to lay down their nets. And he told them, from here, you will go out and catch men. If I said to you, picture someone fishing this morning. Do you think if we went around the room that everybody's picture of someone fishing? Would look the same? Not at all. It depends on where you're from. You see, in Sri Lanka, these stilts are prized family possessions that are passed down generation after generation, putting these families ahead of other families. Or maybe we could go over to Beijing where a stick and a rock cuts through the ice. Or maybe we could go to Russia where a drill is used. Or maybe... We could go to a small Bohemian town where every Christmas Eve they pull a huge net with a large rope and they enjoy a Christmas Eve dinner they call a carp haul. Or we could go to Belgium where for over 500 years the Belgium horses have been used to pull the large nets and baskets on the side to carry the catch. Or if you talk to this man from Asia, he would show you the prize catch of the day or even the domesticated cormorants that are used to catch fish. Or we could have a much more simple view. We could look in Havana at one man casting a small net. Very similar, but even a little bit different in India or If you want to come to North America and just have a good old bass fishing tournament, you could turn the boats loose at daybreak and they'll do about 70 miles an hour down the river and you'll see a lot of fish caught that day. But the point is simple, isn't it? There's a lot of different ways to catch fish. And there's a lot of different ways and a lot of different activities that are involved. When Jesus said to Peter, Andrew, James and John, I'm going to send you out to catch men. What would that look like? After I was in ministry for several years full time, I was probably about about 12 years into ministry. I began to think about how could we. Close the, the cracks. And what I mean by that is individuals dropping through the cracks, you'd hear of of someone being invited, but no one following up, or you'd hear of someone visiting, but no one following up. You'd hear of someone becoming a Christian, but no one following up. And, and you know, the larger you grow as a congregation, the more organized you have to be. That's just, that's just a fact of life because there are so many more cracks. There are so many more opportunities for things to fall through the cracks when there's so many moving parts. And so I thought, what if we could set down And what if we could come up with a simple model that at least identified the major movements? And if you can identify the major movements, then there will be certain individuals that just fit well into certain pieces. And then there will be certain ministries within a congregation that will serve those areas well. And then it will also bring to light the gaps. Where is it that we're not doing well here? Maybe we need to get a group of individuals together in the congregation and talk about how we could fulfill this. Maybe out of that springs a new ministry that we need to create a ministry that does this, whatever the this is, that is filling in the gap. And so out of that, we sat down and we came up with a model that there there was a handout. and, And what's beautiful to me about this is it's just the major movements. And And every congregation, whether you're a congregation of twenty or you're a congregation of 300 or 800, whatever size the congregation, it'll look very different for you, but you can figure out what that is and so as as we think about this, allow me to begin uh, with reminding you of the great commission is to make disciples, and the way to do that in Matthew is to go and to baptize. And to continue teaching. I also want to remind you that if we were asked Jesus today. If he could stand here and we could say, Jesus, what is the most important thing? You know what he would say, right? Because he's already ranked it. He would say, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we could ask or he could add, what's the second most important thing? Love your neighbor as yourself. And what we're going to see throughout this time is we've got to be very careful that we do not become like the priest and the Levite in the Good Samaritan story that thought their neighbors were only others that were members of their church. Evangelism is never going to work if we think the second greatest commandment is only for each other within the church. Do you really love your neighbors that are not Christians? In the same way you love those that are Christians. Now I could put an asterisk there and say. I know it's not exactly the same way. Because in the Lord's church we become family. But remember we're to do good unto how many? All men. And then especially to those of the household of faith. And so as we think about this. I want you to think about the fact that at the very top, and by the way, uh, it's probably obvious, but this model, this model just flows straight down. And then when you come to the bottom, it cycles back up to the top. And so that's the flow here. And, and the idea is there are people around your church building every week that there is something going on in their life where they're asking questions, maybe for the first time in their life, that they've never asked before. They're asking questions that deal with deeper issues of life. You know, every heart has a hole in it, the shape of God. And we'll never find satisfaction. We'll never find fulfillment. There's no multimillionaire in Winnipeg that is not a Christian and is fulfilled. Let that sink in. There's no professional athlete that's that unless they're a Christian. They're not fulfilled. It doesn't matter what titles they've won. It doesn't matter what position they're in work. It doesn't matter what their portfolio looks like. There's always an emptiness and there's going to be a time where that person starts to ask the deeper questions. Why am I here? Is there anything beyond this? Please tell me there's more than this. And where are they going to turn for answers? The hope is that we have begun to build relationships with these individuals so that when that time comes in their life, they're willing to start asking us questions. And if, in fact, they're willing to say, I didn't think I would ever say this ever in my life, but I just might be willing to visit a church. Well, then the question is. Would they visit your congregation? Now, I want to give you i want to give you a simple statement for a lot of these through here. And this is my simple statement for the first one. That house is their house. They're sitting in their house. And here's the question. Or here's the statement. You cannot visit a church that you do not know exists. Do they know you exist? As we think about two things that I've just said, I, I want to kind of pull it back and make it really clear. When I talk about a window of time, I want you to think about from the time someone's born, think about a timeline and think about when they die. They're not a Christian. The idea that they're open to Christ every day is just not true. If they were open to Christ today, they'd be searching for Christ today. They're probably not open to Christ today. And so what we have to do is begin building those relationships. We have to begin offering the invitations. We'd love for you to visit with us sometime. And and when they don't come, it's not a failure. It's not a failure at all. Odds are they won't come when you invite them. Especially the first time, and maybe not the fifth time. But over a period of years, maybe once a year, you just give them a very sincere invitation. And you're planting those seeds so that when that short window, think about this timeline, when that short window of time opens up, that for that short window of time, they are willing to look for God. They're willing to look for the deeper issues of life. They cannot visit a church they do not know exists. You want them saying then, I want to go down to the central church of Christ. I have a friend that I've worked with for years. I respect them highly. They've invited me all throughout the years. When we've talked about deeper issues of life, they seem to make sense. That's where I want to go. What are those windows? It's different for everybody. For some people, it's when they get married. For others, it's when they have their first child. For others, it's when they have their children and they start getting a little bit older and they realize that they have this heavy responsibility. Like I think about some people that visited one time and, and they they had a five-year-old and, and the story went like this. They picked up their five-year-old from school and the teacher pulled them aside and said, listen, we don't know exactly what to do. Your child uses so much vulgar language and something has to change. The dad and mom talked that night and they said, you know, we, we can't believe that we're raising kids that are heathens. And and they said, "What what are we going to do? And the dad said, you know, when when I was a kid, I would go and spend the summers with my grandparents and we would go to church. And and I really enjoyed it. And the wife says. You're talking about church. You're the last person on earth that I would ever think that would talk about church. And he said, I know, I know. But I'm just saying, I don't want to raise kids the way we're raising them now. They showed up on Sunday. They showed up on Sunday because there was a window there where they knew they needed help. They needed something. Listen, sometimes that window is opened after an emergency room visit that was a close call. Sometimes that window is opened up after they attend the funeral of a parent, a grandparent, a good friend. I don't know and you don't know all of the reasons why there's that window of time and you and I don't know exactly when that window of time is going to be. But when we go out and we practice the second greatest commandment to love our neighbor as ourself. We are constantly planting seeds for those opportunities and those windows to open. Now, let's think about that, not just from an individual for just a moment, but let's think about it from a congregation. What can a congregation do to help with those windows of time and help with with the community knowing that that we exist because you can't visit a church you don't know exists? So what can you do? We used to try to plan a calendar that once a quarter had some kind of event that everybody in the congregation would be very comfortable inviting friends to. And so uh, that may be in the summertime. It might be vacation Bible school. And, and uh, another time of the year, it might be a family day where, where we would say for two or three weeks before, we maybe would have a month-long series on family. And then when we say, now, the last sermon on this series, the end of the month, we're going to have a family day and we want everybody to invite your family to come. And there would be a great lesson that would be a non-threatening lesson, if you will. And, and, and that lesson would be on family and the importance of physical family and God's family. And it'd be a wonderful introduction. And so all month long, we would encourage everybody, please invite your family members, invite those that are Christians, and especially invite those who are not Christians. Another time of the year, another quarter, we'd have a Friends Day. And it'd be the same way. We would study about relationships, and we'd study about the importance of souls, and then it would all be leading up to Friends Day. And throughout that month, we would say, be praying every day for the five friends that you're going to invite. And so a whole congregation's been praying all month for their five friends that they're going to invite. A few weeks out, they invite their five friends. Now, usually no more than one or two of those friends came. But again, keep in mind, Great good was done because the whole congregation, inviting multiple people each, think of all the seeds that were planted during that time. A little card was given to them about the day, the date, but real importantly, the congregation and the location. Why is that important? You can't visit a church you don't know exists. And so then you have a friend's day and then friends come and the follow up is amazing We would usually try to have a seminar here. This seminar on evangelism is awesome and it should take place. But it's an in-house seminar. It's for the church family. You can also have a rotation of seminars that are on topics that people that are not a part of the church family would be intrigued. Hot topics. How to have a better marriage. How to be a better parent. How to how to handle finances. How to deal with grief. Those are all going to pull different people. Maybe that's a rotation. Maybe once every four years you're doing each one of those topics. And so think, we just talked about a seminar, a family day, a friend's day, and a vacation Bible school. The whole church is inviting someone to every one of them. So the whole church is making invitations four times a year. Now, let me give you a little insider information. From a leadership standpoint, you know why we also did that? The much deeper motive was we want to get people so comfortable inviting that we create a culture. And it took four or five years, but we eventually moved to a culture where we challenged people to invite someone to church once a week. And we, a lot of people would carry a business card with them. It would just have the name and location of the church and and the times of worship. And then it would just have some kind of catchphrase on it that would be like, we hope to see you soon. We'd love to have you with us. Just something like that. And so when you're in the grocery store and you strike up that random conversation with someone and maybe it's as simple as, oh, you just moved here. I'm glad you're new to town. Hey, I know this is kind of random, but I love where I go to church. Don't have a clue if you go to church or not. but." I just want to tell you, we would love to have you see you and you're on your way. The seed is planted. It is amazing. It is amazing how God can water and grow seeds that are planted. But he gives us the responsibility of planting the seeds. And so a few other things that I'd urge you to think about along these lines is also thinking about what do you have in in the human talent resource that you could do to reach those that are outsiders with love single mom car care clinic single moms have a hard way to go single moms have a hard time making it without their car most single moms don't know much about their car what if what if you had two mechanics in the congregation and you could put a sport team around them that on a particular Saturday in the spring, that you'd be willing to change ten to, to change the oil in ten vehicles. So there were cards that were passed out in limited basis to member to those that are not members of the church, and they could call and they could reserve one of those ten slots. And so when they would bring in their car to get the oil changed, you had one crew that was cleaning the car inside and out. You think about the single mom coming that's not knowing all this is happening. She knows, hey, I'm going to drop my car off and I'm going to stay with it for an hour. But what's going to happen is her car is going to be washed and cleaned inside and out. The oil is going to be changed. The fluids are going to be changed. And if there are things that she needs to know about, hey, we're concerned about the belts on your car. We're concerned about the tires. But then while all this is happening, her and the kids come inside the church building And there's women there to give her a manicure. And there's people there to play with the children. And when they leave, there's gift bags that invite them back and give them things that they can color or whatever it is with the children. And I can assure you this, if you do that for 10 ladies on a Saturday, it'll take about 40 of you to pull off all of that. But you'll have 10 women that will cry when they get back in their car. You'll see it. And they will say, I don't understand why you're being so good to me. This is unbelievable. I have never had anyone to be this nice to me. And, and it, it is an amazing way to love our neighbor as ourselves. If you were a single mom, you would want someone to do that for you. And, and it is an easy way to show the love of Christ. And there's never a, um, a twisting of the arm. Now, we're, we're really only going to do this if, if you will come and visit us at church. No, it's, hey, no strings attached. We love you like we love ourselves, and we want we want to serve you. Um, you know, the, the list can go on when you start just looking in the community of needs. Maybe it's reaching out to the closest elementary school and telling the, the counselor there, we'd like to put together 25 backpacks, and can you tell us what needs to be in them, and can you get those 25 backpacks to the students that need it the most when school begins in the fall? And so then it's just someone putting it together and making those connections. And then inside each of them, maybe there's just a simple note that says, uh, the people at the central church of Christ love you with the love of the Lord. And, and it's just planting, it's planting those seeds. Maybe it's going out into the community and on a pretty summer day, and maybe the Sunday afternoon uh, worship service is in a park. And maybe you spend a couple of hours just enjoying some hot dogs together and, and just playing together. And then if there's an amphitheater or a setting that's appropriate, everybody's sitting down and just having a 30-minute service. Maybe it's only a few songs. Maybe it's just a 15-minute lesson. But what's neat is you invite. Again, it's kind of like a friend's day. You invite all your coworkers. We're going to be in the park. We're just going to play for a few hours. We're going to have a short period of worship. We'd love for you and your family to come. We're just going to have a good time together. And then even in the park, maybe even in the park, it's going around letting people know, hey, you're welcome to come over and enjoy a meal. We're, we're going to have a worship service in a few minutes if you'd like to join us. I think about a, a, a Facebook post I saw the other day, and it, it's from a woman that the first time I ever met her and her husband, was a worship in the park. It was a friend's day worship in the park. And they had not even been invited. They just happened to be in the park that afternoon. And and a few of us walked over and met them and just had a great conversation. And we told them what we were doing, said, we'd love for you to join us. And they did. And the very next Sunday, they were at church. And then through a lot of other relationships that were formed, and then a lot of Bible studies that took place within a year, uh, the husband and wife were, were uh, Christians. And 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 now we're a lot of years down the road from that. And so what we what I'm I guess I'm I'm trying to um say to you is this. I want to show you a few slides and um these are some things that I went through personally um a little bit probably about fifteen to twenty years ago, probably closer to twenty now, but I heard a fellow speak and I'm gonna in a minute I'm gonna show you uh, what he said, and and when he said it, it left me feeling miserable. And you know, it's that burden that, wow, we have got to do better. And so, here's some things I just want you to think about, and and um and and hopefully, if if we need to do better, hopefully we'll carry that burden in our heart. You know, that's p- people that change things are people that have burdens in their heart. So when I speak about a burden in heart, to me, it's a positive thing. Uh, you, we don't change things if we're comfortable with them. We only change things when we have a broken heart about it and we say this has to change. We have to do this better. We have to do this differently. And so here's some here's some passages. You know, sometimes we, we say, well, the community just doesn't like the church. And so we begin to operate and we interact with neighbors as if, oh, I know you're not going to like me. Well, I'm just saying that's crazy. Sure, a lot of people don't like religion, but they haven't met you. And they haven't met this congregation. And that should be the game changer because you belong to the Lord and you are going to reflect the Lord in everything that you are. And that's different. And so think about Galatians 6 and 10. If we really did go out on a daily a daily basis and fulfill Galatians 6 and 10, therefore, as we have opportunity. Have you had an opportunity the last week to be good to someone out in the community? Let us do good to all. To all. God expects you and I to be good to every co-worker. He expects you and I to be good to every neighbor we have. He expects you and I to be good to every family member we have, even the ones that are difficult to get along with. He expects us to do good to all. So now listen, if collectively we all do good to all It's going to be hard for people to say, I don't like them. Listen, if we live this out, people might say this. They might say, oh, I don't agree with what they teach, but they're really nice people. People didn't hate Jesus because he was mean to them. The people that hated Jesus didn't like what he taught, but they couldn't deny the fact that he loved them and that he was good to them. Or think about this. Too many times when we as a congregation say, oh, we're all about service. We're all about service. What we really mean is we're about serve us. We we do a lot for each other. At the period of time I heard this and another one coming up was when I went back to my office with that broken heart and frustration. and And I sat down. And I thought, I want to look at our ministries. And we were a larger congregation. And so, but just let me give you an idea. At that time, we had about 40-something ministries in the church where a deacon led each one of them. And they were all very, very active. And I thought, I'm going to get out the list of these 40-something ministries. And I just want to see how many of these do something good to people outside of the church. I was almost crying by the time I got through the list. We had over 40 ministries and I had to stretch to get two of them to apply to something outside the church. It's unbelievable. If we're not careful, most of what we do. is just for us. And that great commission. We do very, very little for it. Because our organization, our focus. Everything is on us. And again, please don't hear me say that we're not important. We need each other, and we need to serve each other. But the point is we need to make sure that just as important as it is for us to serve each other, we need to have an outward focus that says we love the community around us. We love the people around us, and we want to serve you. And that's that's when, when I said to you like a single mom's car care clinic, That didn't exist at the congregation I was at before we started considering these things. We ended up having a month-long series at, at church on Sunday morning about this. And then after that, we had the elders and deacons and then others in the congregation sat down. And we said, we've got to reshape ourselves. We have to start reflecting the second greatest commandment. We have to start serving people outside of the church. How do you want to do this? And it was amazing, the list of ideas. The single mom's car care clinic came up. The backpacks came up and a list of 20 other things. We ended up having a list longer than what we could do. We couldn't do them all. So we just picked a few and we said, "Okay, for this year, which one are we going to do? And then the next few years, we added a few more and kept doing the others. But what was amazing was the reputation of the congregation in the community in, in a few years period of time flipped. And people would say that church is good to the community that church helps us and and prior to that, that wasn 't the case and Of course, from that, naturally, a lot of people were drawn because they were seeing something they hadn 't seen before. Um, you know if we think maybe people don 't like us, it probably wouldn 't happen and i 've already referred to this and it 's kind of a longer um, passage, but you remember it 's the passage of the Good Samaritan. And remember, this started, if we backed up a little bit earlier, this started with him asking, how may I have eternal life? Isn't that neat that the story of the good Samaritan springs out of the question, how may I have eternal life? And so the answer at this point that we're looking at the screen comes down to, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And remember, the man then uh, says, he's trying to justify himself. And he says, well, who is my neighbor? And he, he thinks Jesus is going to tell him, it's the other Jews that are around you. He's a Jewish man, and it's the other Jews that are around you. And he's shocked when he hears the story of the Good Samaritan, where two Jews pass by, a priest and a Levite, and they just walk by the guy that's, that's left half dead. He's been robbed and, and injured. And then here comes, of all people, a Samaritan. You don't expect a Samaritan to help people, and yet <clears throat> it's the Samaritan that does. And you notice Jesus still doesn't answer his question. Jesus flips the question. Remember, he asked the question, who is my neighbor? At the end, instead of saying, so, your neighbor is everyone, and especially those in need, he flips the question after the story tells that, right? The story implies that strongly. And so at the end, this is what Jesus says. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And imagine this guy had to say this. He who showed mercy on him and Jesus said, go and do likewise. What if the whole church goes out every week and just shows mercy to people? Mercy in this setting like this. I know when we think about the Lord extending mercy to us, that's one thing. That's Think about by application in this setting in Scripture, mercy, you and I showing mercy. Mercy is benevolent help even when someone doesn't deserve it. You know, the concept of mercy is you don't necessarily deserve this, but I want to offer it to you. And mercy toward each other is benevolent help. And so maybe you look at someone, you say, well, they don't even deserve it. Well, the question isn't, do they deserve it? The question is, do they need it? What can you offer to someone and something that they need? Also, you remember Matthew, the 25th chapter, when we have those three stories about the day of judgment? And uh, things leading up to judgment. And then this is the one where Jesus said, hey, you know, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was stranger, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I love y'all's clothing room downstairs, that the hallway there. And uh, when you visited me, I was in prison and you came into me. And, and remember, they said, Lord, we don't know when we have ever seen you like that. And he said, when you've done this for what? The least of these. You've done it unto me. Listen, the community is not going to look around once they've been fed and once they have been given drink, once they have been treated uh, nicely as a stranger, once they've been given clothing, once they've been taken care of when they're sick. And once they've been visited, once they were in prison, they're not going to look around at people that do that and say, oh, yeah, I don't like those people. If we could honestly say people around us don't like the church, there's probably a good reason why. It's probably because we haven't been doing all the things that the scriptures are full of saying this is what we should be doing to outsiders. The commandments, the teachings are very, very, very clear. And so um, here's the one that that I'll never forget it as long as I live uh, in that period of my life. It changed my life. What if the congregation here in Winnipeg ceased to exist today? Would anyone in the community notice or care? And that's the golden question. You say, oh, we would care. We love this place. This is one of the most special group of people on earth. I'm not saying us. I'm not saying us. If it closed today, would anyone outside of us say, they're not there anymore? What are we going to do? Those were the best people in town. Well, those were the people I could lean on. Those were the people that you could just count on them. They were good, steady people. Well, they were always fill in the blank. They were always helping with this. They were always doing this. They were such a positive force of good in our community. What are we going to do if they're not here? That is what we need to become. Listen, if there should be a force of good in this community greater than the Lord's church, tell me what it should be. If there should be a place of compassion greater than the Lord's church in this community, who should it be? If there should be anyone that's going to hold up truth other than the Lord's church, who in the world would that be? The responsibility that the Lord places upon his church is amazing. We are to be the light to the world. We are to be the messengers of truth to the world. We are to represent the source of good to the world. And what an amazing opportunity that is. Okay, so I've said all of that. And we're still at the very top of that. But the point is this. I've said all that because if we can't get people to move from their house to our house, the Lord's house, we can't succeed. There has to be some kind of interaction. There has to be something so that when invitations are given... Let me give you one more, and I know we're going around time. And and, you know, it's just neat seeing the way the work of the Lord. There, there was a guy who every Friends Day would invite his co-workers, and most of the time they wouldn't come. And this co-worker came home from work, and his wife said, "I know you said you'll never go to church with me and the kids, and so I've been raising these kids, and we've never gone to church. I'm just telling you this." I'm tired of it, and I'm going to church Sunday. And he didn't like it at all. He circled back around later in the evening, and he said, well, where are you going to go? And she said, I don't know, and I don't care. I'm just going to church Sunday. And he said, well, you're not going without me. I'm going to. And she looked at him. She said, well, great. Where are we going to go? And he said, I don't know. I'll tell you when I get in from work tomorrow. He went to work tomorrow. He went to that guy that had been inviting him once a year to friends days for like five, six, seven, eight years. And he said, hey, uh, you know that church you go to that you've been inviting me to? Where is it and when does it meet? He told him and he said, I think my family's going to see you Sunday. So, of course, he met him out in the four year they came in, they sat together, and over the next several months, the husband and wife were 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 converted. And it's just a beautiful story. How do we move people from their house to this house? But then here's the second thing. When we move them to this house, you only have one shot at a first impression, a good first impression. So how do we make a positive first impression? We need to give that a lot of thought. How do we make sure that people are spoken to and they're spoken to by multiple people? How do we make sure that the conversations go deeper than just, hey, it's good to meet you. Glad you're here today and you're on your way. Because that leads us to the third one here. And, and that is people are not going to return for a second visit because you teach the truth. They're going to return for the second visit because you've showed them the love of the Lord. Now, lest you think I don't care about the truth, I care about the truth deeply. The point is, the person visiting doesn't even know the truth. So if you think they're going to come and sit in the pew one Sunday and they're going to come back because they heard the truth preached, they don't have a clue if it's the truth or not. The only reason they'll come back for a second visit is because the love of the Lord was shown to them. When they leave the place saying, wow, those people really care about us. Those people are really genuine. Wow, that's really neat. Maybe somebody invites them out to lunch that day. Hey, and if you can't go today, next week, if you're here, we'd love to take you out to lunch. Whatever it is, there needs to be real relationships that are starting to be built. It has to go beyond the surface because people don't know how much... Uh, they don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And so it's important that people aren't setting alone. It's important that people are reaching out to them. But then that brings us to this time of study and self-examination. And by this one, I just put a little statement that says people are not converted through conversations. There has to be a point while someone is having continual visits, there has to be a point that they're willing to set down And they're willing to study. Now, are those conversations about God not important? No, they're very important. For you to have those conversations at work when someone's open to it, sure, it's important. But you're not going to convert somebody through a conversation. So what are those conversations for? Those conversations are to try to get someone to visit and to eventually lead to a Bible study. When someone has visited, uh, you know, like the local congregation Uh, And I would oftentimes go up to them, like on the third or fourth time that they were there, and I would say to them, "Hey, you just don't know how thrilled we are that you're here." And I just want you to know something: eventually, you're going to have questions because you're going to see things, and you're going to be like, "I've never seen this before. I don't understand why that's being done." Or you're going to have personal questions. Well, I want to know more about what I should do. Here's the deal: whenever you get to that point and you have those questions, I just want you to know that I sat down and I study with individuals every week. And you just let me know and we'll just sit down and and we'll start studying through whatever your questions are. And and it's interesting because at that time they kind of look at you like you have a third eye. Like you 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 you're, you would sit down. And so I'll just kind of double back around. I say, Hey, just whenever you're ready, and just know that I do it every week, so you just say when and, and we'll do it. And um uh, and it's neat because usually within a few weeks that guest would come back around to me and they would say hey you know that that you were talking about like i do have a lot of questions right now when when's a good time and and uh we would throw out a time and we'd find that time and we'd sit down and usually we would do that same time for several weeks into the future why what were we doing because we ultimately want them to be baptized into Christ you see we're not trying to just increase the population, uh, the, the number of peoples in the pew. We're trying to increase the population of heaven. I can't get to heaven without being in Christ. And so they need to know, what is it that Christ teaches in enhanced covenant of how to become a Christian? And what a beautiful occasion that is. Now, once they're brought to Christ, that's not the end. That's literally the very beginning of something. And they are a babe in Christ. And so that's where we have to follow up with first principles. That's a great time to say, hey... We have a one-on-one class at, at church and, and we'd love for you to come. It meets on Wednesdays and it's a small group and, and we just study some foundational truths of scripture, of understanding the Bible, but then also living out our faith. And, and there are so many things that can be done intentionally there. Maybe it's even having five individuals that will sit down with a new convert over the next 10 weeks and, uh, and just studying with them individually. But the point is this. We have to be moving toward continual growth. You know, in your professions, a lot of the time you have to have continual education. We were not brought to Christ to be stagnant. We're brought to Christ to to continue a path of maturation. And so what can we do to help them become servants? What ministry could they serve in in the Lord's church? What could we do to help them grow in knowledge? Those two are key at this time, moving the newborn babe onto a path of maturity. Listen, if you're a deacon, I want to encourage you to realize not only is it your responsibility to lead a ministry, but it's also your responsibility to lead the willing servants in the congregation that want to be involved in your ministry. So you're not just leading a ministry, you're leading the people. And so when someone has is a young Christian, there needs to be some deacons that come around and say, what do you enjoy doing? We want to help you find your fit. But the main thing is, we just want you to serve. We want every member doing their part. That's scriptural. We'll study that Sunday morning. And so helping through structure, through organization, those things take place. And then continuing with intense study and training. This weekend, in a sense, is is a time for all of us to focus, to train, if you will, to study. Think about this. What we stop talking about, we stop believing. And what we stop believing, we stop practicing. So if it's important, we need to have continual training on it. If we stop talking about it, we stop believing. If we stop believing it, we stop doing it. And so then, what's that going to lead us back to? It's going to lead us back to. And keep in mind, this is the person that was baptized into Christ. And they're coming back around to where they're actually edifying others. They are actually the ones inviting others. Is that biblical? Do you remember when the one that was totally unexpected, probably by the other apostles, when Jesus turned to Levi, the tax collector, and said, follow me? Can you imagine how the other one's cringed? You invited a tax collector? Jesus, what were you thinking? We've got a buddy up with him? You remember the very next part of that story? Jesus oh, you haven't seen the, the end of it. He's got friends. Jesus goes over and sets and has dinner at Matthew's house that was filled with what? A lot of other tax collectors and a lot of other sinners. You know what happens every time we bring someone out of the world to Christ and they really do mature? They begin to think of all of their friends that do not know Jesus. They think about how they used to be like them and now what they enjoy. And they look back just like Matthew and they say, I want my friends to know Jesus. I want my friends to experience this, and now there's a whole another door, another pathway opened up to a whole nother group of friends that now this new family member of ours is going to introduce us to them, and it just never ends. It's just a continual cycle of more people that we can influence. I think we'll have to stop for lunch for time's sake, but maybe... We begin next session to see if there's any questions and discussion about all this or how's the best? Okay. All
0: right. Thank you, David. Uh, Wonderful uh, talk about the what and the why of becoming um, um, disciple makers and, 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 and being into evangelism. So we have now the question and answer portion, and it's your opportunity now to ask David uh, some of the burning questions that you have in your minds. I'm looking around, looking for hands, questions. And if you're online, um, I'm not on YouTube right now, right? I know the, YouTube, the, the messages there. If you text me your questions, I can ask David that as well. Two zero four five one five seven four one five. That's two zero four five one five seven four one five. We don't have to mention who you are. Just your questions. Obviously, here we're gonna know who you are because you're gonna ask the questions yourselves. Okay. So I'll, I'll have I have a like to to help us wet our appetites on asking questions. Uh, David, you mentioned about the culture of evangelism in the church. Does this mean that all of us, all of us, do evangelistic things? How does that work? You know, how, what do what do, what do I say? What do what do you say to people who are like like me, for example? If I'm if I'm a person who goes well, evangelism is not for me. How is that? What do you say to that?
1: Yeah, you know. I think if every Christian stops and thinks about it, they would they would bring theirself to an understanding that evangelism is for every Christian because a disciple is one that is like the master. And the whole reason Jesus came to this earth was seek and save the lost now. I think maybe sometime when people say evangelism is not for me, what they might be thinking is I'm just not real comfortable sitting down and studying with individuals one on one. And, you know, James three even says that there should not be many teachers. And so the idea that everybody today ought to be able to sit down, you know, James is saying, no, that's something you want to make sure you're prepared for before you, you sit down to do that. But here's the thing. Should everyone in the congregation be concerned about souls? That's evangelism, being concerned about souls. Well, sure. Every you know, that's why last night I gave you that exercise. Like, I don't know if to you you think that's something small to me. That's that's everything. Like if if you and I aren't praying daily for souls. Like we we don't get it like we ought to have that in the front of our Bible and we ought to be praying every day. From the pulpit to the back pew, everybody in between. Ought to care whether or not people are brought to the Lord. And when the church family says, I honestly care. The whole church family says, I care. I pray daily about it. Now, remember 1 Corinthians 12, that the church is the body of Christ, but the body is made up of different members. Some are going to be feet, some are hands, some are ears and and nose and eyes. We're all different, right? So here's the beauty. Like when you look at all of that, there's a lot of different things taking place. For all of that to function. And so what we're doing is saying, you know, sure, everybody can, can give an invitation. Everybody can invite someone. Everyone can pray every day. And everyone can find their place. With the gifts and abilities that God's given you. First Peter 4.10 makes it clear that God's given everybody at least one. The parable of the talents makes it clear God's given everybody at least one. So the question is, whatever your gift and your talents, your abilities that God's given you... How can you use that in a way that shows you care about souls? And um, and and so when everybody does their part, that's what causes growth of the body. And so um, so in that sense, it becomes a culture because everybody's thinking about it. And then when a guest walks in the door, everybody is thankful that that guest has come. And everybody's willing to be friendly. Everybody's willing uh, to, to use whatever their ability
0: is. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. Yes, Kristen. I Kristen, we have a mic.
2: I'm so close, I was just going to yell. <laughs> um, I just wanted to add on to what Jay's question was, because at the beginning of your lesson, you had mentioned these cracks, you know, that people were invited and there was just no follow-up or something like that. So I was wondering if you could elaborate on what that follow-up would look like or should look like.
1: Okay. At, at what point is the fall through that we need to follow up? You see what I'm asking? You know, like
2: you're kind of just mentioning a couple of different examples that like if you saw somebody in a grocery store and you invited them or gave them a, call, a card or something like that, like how do we follow up with Like people that we kind of see one-off or maybe people that we see more routinely? I know that's a big question.
1: It is. It is. And Thank you. Thank you, Krista. And and you know that my answer has to have a lot of opinion in that. For the people that are kind of one-offs, for me, I see that as an opportunity to be one of the little bitty seeds that God's going to use. Think, Think about God looks down. He sees each individual. And he sees everybody. So, again, let's just say Winnipeg. There's someone in Winnipeg that God knows three years from now, they're they're going to have a moment where they search for him. They're not now. And God knows that. But he knows three years they are. Now, I always hesitate to try to say how God will operate because his providence is far beyond our imagination. But we know that he doesn't have a plan B. The only way that person is going to be reached through the church, That's that's plan A, and there is no plan B. Okay, so, so think about what God might be doing over the next three years. How, how can that person start being introduced? Maybe the one-off is three or four people over the next three years invite some church. They have no interest, but at least now that seed is planted. Oh, so there, there is a church in Winnipeg, Central Church. Oh, okay, there's, there's Church of Christ. But my guess is that also God is going to put someone around them in their workplace or where they live. I don't believe any of us live on the street we live on by accident. I really don't. I I believe that that we live where we live because God is bringing people around us that they need Christian neighbors. And there's going to be a window somewhere in that period of time. And so so especially the people that we have regular contact with, it's then figuring out how can you know, because what we don't want to be is overbearing. You know, we don't want to be that, that Christian that feels like, well, I work with a Christian. All I know is they're ramming it down my throat all the time, you know. And so a lot of time with people like that, I only invite once a year. And and it's no pressure. It's, hey, it just means a lot to me. And I, I would just love for you to come visit with us. And and it's just, it's given that, that invitation. But with those people that we are around, falling through the crack would be not caring. Falling through the crack would be, well, I invited them one time and they didn't come. I mean, no, we've, we've got to, you know, if I'm praying for you every day, I'm probably going to invite you at least once a year. And I'm going to be thinking about the conversations we have and I'm going to think about my example before you. And so the follow up in that would be very, being very mindful of, of everything that I have influence at, at that point. And, um, and then, like with, with a church family, when someone does visit, you know, do do we have some kind of follow-up with them? Even if it's as simple as, you know, someone's texting them or, you know, in some way letting them know, hey, we are really glad that you were there uh, Sunday. And then you could have even fallen through the cracks is they come and they sit alone. And nobody really talks to them and they leave. And, you know, your hope is no one sets alone that that when a, a guest comes, they're greeted. And and, you know, you can intentionally greet someone in such a way that you can just be standing there when it's about time for church to start. And see, this is where our traditions get us. You're a guest and I'm visiting with you and I intentionally stay there for a few minutes and visit with you. But then church by start. And what am I going to say? Oh, I got to run up to my seat. See you. And that guest is like. Well, I don't know where my seat is. And and so it's like you've just uh, implied everybody has a seat. And and so I guess I'll sit here. I guess I'm in the right seat because I'm all alone. And, you know, we got to break our habits of where we sit so that we're comfortable sitting with guests no matter if they're there or if they're there. And, and you know, it's like, hey, yeah, oh, church by start. Have, have, a, have a seat. And now we're together. So now I can follow up with you after service as well. Give the first five minutes after service to talk to the guest. You know, we always have people on our mind. Oh, I've got to tell so-and-so something. I've got to follow up with so-and-so. And so with those people, you're walking by them, and it only takes three seconds. Hey, don't leave today before I talk with you. The first five minutes is to go find the guest. First five minutes is go and just spend time with them. Let them know you're glad you're there. And then... Once however much time that takes, then you visit with everybody else. But again, that's an easy way to fall through the cracks. It's like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to serve us, but we have guests here today and we haven't even given them any time. All right. Can I take one other thing to emphasize off that, that, you know, I, I've said to you, there are a few things that to me, they were game changers in my life. And, um, and so here's another one. Um, don't tell me how serious you are about souls. Until you show us how serious you are about guest. And what I mean by that is. Who's going to be the next? When I say adult, I just mean, you know, there may be a youth that grew up here and that's awesome when they're baptized. That's awesome. But let's just take the youth out of the focus for a moment that grew, grew up here. Who's going to be the next adult baptized in those waters right there? Who's going to be the next adult? I can tell you with all probability, the next adult baptized there will first be a guest here at a worship service. They'll first come in as a guest. And then based on how you love them. They'll come back again. And they come back because they are loved enough that then that gives opportunity to teach the truth. And then they start coming back because they're learning the truth and they're being convicted. And they're falling in love with Jesus. And then it brings them to the point where they say. I want to be baptized into Christ. And so now think about this. If that's the next person that's going to be baptized into Christ. What if they come the first time and they're not loved? Well, they're just going to go next Sunday to another church down the road. And they don't care what flavor it is. Because they don't know. They're just looking for someone that can love them. And help connect them to a better life. And so. So. You know. We can't say. Oh I'm. I'm serious about souls. If we're not serious. Every time the doors open. About guests. Because. You know. Right now. You imagine. If we said go out in Winnipeg right now. And find somebody that's not a Christian. That's will to become a Christian. You say where do I start? Yeah. It's kind of tough. Isn't it? But Let me tell you. If they took the time to set their alarm and get up on a Sunday morning and get dressed and walk in a building that they know nothing about and they're scared, they park their car because they don't know which door they're supposed to walk in, they don't know what to expect, they don't know if they're going to be embarrassed, they don't know all these things, and they have enough courage to walk in the door, you better believe they're searching for something. No one visits by accident. No one visits by accident. And how horribly rude it is of us. If someone's gone to all that trouble to come and we act like it's no big deal. And we act like. I didn't even notice you. And so we, we've got to go all out for guests and we don't want to embarrass them. We don't go, you know, oh, and please stand today. Oh, they hate that, you know, but so it needs to be kind of under the radar and it needs to be very genuine. And uh, but we have to go all out for guests because that's the person right now in Winnipeg that's looking for the Lord.
0: Thank you, David. Yes, go ahead, Chad. Um,
3: How was that for elaborating? (laughs) Thanks. Um, There's just a few comments I wanted to make. One of them was your idea about um, uh, perhaps having an event out in a park. I don't know if you knew it, but you're actually pointing right to the park just across the street there. So, that's something we might want to get on, so, uh, maybe even this summer. But uh, I wanted to just uh, make a comment about what you said about um, uh, the ministry, just our gifts. And I think oftentimes when we come to a church for a while, we start to observe that people are using different gifts, uh, like speaking or singing or presiding, and then we get a very uh, narrow scope on what gifts you could use in, in, in church. And so I just appreciate the fact that you reminded us of um, the other, all the gifts that we have. Any gift we have could be, basically be used as a tool to help win people to the Lord. So I just That's appreciate right. you uh, highlighting that.
1: Can I just comment on that? To, the first day we got up and we announced that we need help with the Single Moms Car Care Clinic, There was a mechanic that almost raced to the back of the building uh, at at the end of a service. And, And he said, I want to be involved in that. He said, there are so many things that take place around here that are really good works, and I'm not capable. He said, but you better believe I can do that one. For probably 15 years now, he's one of the leads every year at the single mom's car care clinic. It means the world to him. He gives his time. He, he he actually goes to a place he works for and says, "Why don't you guys give the oil? You you ought to do this. We're helping women in our community that are in need." They literally give them. He's he's become the ambassador for it. And 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 you know, in his mind, he says, "There's so much that I can't do, but this is something I can do really really well." And so yeah, it's finding our gift and and using it uh, with a focus of souls. How can we use our gift to say, I care about you and I care about your soul? Not just I want to do something good for you, but I want to do something good for you because I care about your soul.
0: And... All right. I'm looking around for other questions or comments, if there's any. If there are not, uh, it's lunchtime. Hey, so yeah. I hope you guys oh, – there's questions somewhere? There you go, Stacey. Thank you,
2: Thank you Chad. I just wanted to make a comment um, about what you said about the the members of our congregation being involved in what goes on here, um, but not enough contact with others outside of the church, with our neighbors. Um, I think that it is very easy to become internal focused because that's comfortable. Yeah. And, um, I'm excited about reaching out and having, um, all of us being focused on those who need the Lord and being here to love them and support them when we get them here. And, uh, I just think I love the plan. It's great.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Stacy. Hey, well,
1: while, while he's walking over with the mic, we have one over here. Richard. I to make a comment on uh, years ago. I made up this illustration, okay? And but it's kind of it kind of just echoes the importance of what you just said. I want you to imagine that you have a neighbor on your street that you don't really know that well, and maybe one reason why you don't know them well is because they're not a Christian and you just haven't cared that much lately. And, um, and they, have, they have a parent to die. You know, maybe the, maybe this neighbor is middle-aged, and they have a parent to die. But yeah, they were very close to that parent, and they're brokenhearted. The neighbor on the other side comes over with a six-pack, and he says, Bill, man, I remember when my dad passed away, I was brokenhearted. And look, I'm not a, a mushy-type guy. I don't know what to say to you, but here's a six-pack, and just know that I love you, buddy, and if you ever need anything, I'm right next door for you. Now think about it. This guy's sitting here saying, wow, this guy really loves me. And then this side, all I know is these people are Christians and they go every Sunday morning to church. But I don't guess they love me. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's so sad that so many people in the world are loved so much better by the world than they are by Christians. And, you know, and and we just need to love with no strings attached. And and if we can get that part of it, they're going to see the true beauty of Christianity.
3: I was just going to make a suggestion on a book by Bob Goff. Um, I don't know if you know who Bob Goff is, but uh, he's a guy who's um when i went to ncym he was one of the speakers and it's called love does and it's just a really inspiring book on identifying ways that you can demonstrate love to people
0: well thank you richard i thought you had a comment okay all right well yeah we're looking forward to that okay so thank you david uh that's it for our time uh it, again, it's, it's lunchtime, but I uh, just so you know that, um, just make your way up and go to the NPR, fill the seats at the tables, and then Miles is going to meet you there for just a short, uh, a little bit of instructions, then we're going to eat. But now we're going to uh, close in prayer and pray for the food at the same time. Let's, uh, pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, um, lesson that, uh, we just heard from David. Thank you, God, for sending us David uh, all the way here to Winnipeg to encourage us and to really understand the why and the how and the details of um, how evangelism and disciple making affects our church today. Uh, Heavenly Father, you are such an amazing God that you give us everything that we need. And in this um, task that the Lord Himself has given His church to make disciples, you are not silent. You give us um, um, support and understanding and wisdom on how to go about doing this very important work uh, in uh, in, in this uh, congregation here. So thank you, God, for that. And I pray, God, that um, you will be with us now as we uh, take a break, uh, have lunch, eat eat some amazing, um, an amazing meal uh, to nourish our bodies, and also an opportunity for us to come together, talk, fellowship, and uh, build uh, a relationship together so that uh, we can be one in our mind and and, and in action uh, as we do the work of Jesus in our community. Thank you, God, for the food and for the um, individuals that prepared it and uh, provided it for us. Um, Please be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.